This is episode 5 of the MTG Deck Techs Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the MTG Deck Techs Podcast. I'm James, and today I am joined by Jason, who is also with MTG Deck Techs. How's it going, Jason? Hey, everybody. I'm doing good. How are you today? I'm killing it. I had a great weekend. I'm looking forward to this week, and we got some stuff to talk about in the magic world. So not too much happened in the past week, uh, but we do have some topics that we want to hit. What did come out was we had two GPs this weekend. They were both team sealed, and I didn't see anything because there was pretty much no coverage. One was in Denver and one was in Nagoya, Japan. Uh, the Nagoya, Japan one had some coverage, but it was all in Japanese, and we'll be talking about that. And then also what happened this weekend was kind of a scandal, and it had to do with a pretty high-profile player. So we'll be talking about that. And then because of the lack of news, um, we're going to kind of dive into some of the standard decks that have been really performing, especially during the MTGO PTQ that took place on Saturday. So we're going to dive into some of those decks, kind of give you a, a deck tech in the audio version right now, and uh, we'll, we'll be discussing those. And then we'll finish off the episode with Community Spotlight and our Triple Strike questions of the week. And we'll give you the answers for last week's uh, Triple Strike questions. But first, how to support us. So if you're in the market for any type of dice bags or play mats, any type of gaming accessories that you need for Magic the Gathering or role-playing games, Whatever it is, make sure you check out inkedgaming.com. And if at checkout you use the code TEX10, T-E-C-H-S-1-0, at checkout, you'll get 10% off. And we'll get a little bit as it is an affiliate code for MTG Deck Techs. So it's a win-win. If you'd like to support the show and the website, the YouTube channel, everything that MTG Deck Techs does for you please make sure you stop by and visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the MTG deck techs. But right now also a great way you can support our show is just by sharing. If you take a link to one of our podcast episodes and share it on Twitter or Facebook with the hashtag MTG deck techs, we'll make sure you get entered into a booster pack giveaway absolutely free. And right now it's critical for our show to be shared um, among everyone you know. So if you do like it, share it with your friends. It definitely helps us. So without further ado, I think we're going to jump into our topics. So Jason, do you know anything that uh, was going on with the GPs this weekend? Did you see any coverage or follow the tweets or why weren't, why weren't they covered like normal GPs? All right. So like, I don't know why they weren't covered. Um, well, the, the GP in Japan was it was covered on the MTG Japan tw uh, Twitch channel, and all the coverage was in Japanese, though, so, like, you wouldn't, I guess, wouldn't be able to understand what was going on unless you spoke it. But as far as Denver goes, they had zero coverage for it. They, I didn't even know there was one going on. If, if not for the cosplayers that I follow on Twitter that were going, I wouldn't even know about it. But... Also, like, this is the second week in a row that Wizards themselves did not put on, like, any coverage for the new set, period. So I think it's kind of a bad deal, and I have no idea why they 
didn't cover it. They should have had coverage for it. I know that it's limited, and limited doesn't get a lot of views, but Star City Games wasn't doing anything this weekend, so they would have had the stranglehold on the on the Twitch channel anyway. I don't know. It, it makes no sense. Yeah, that was something I was thinking about as well. So I, I tune in to Twitch on the weekend, try to check out some coverage, and I didn't see anything for SEG because I noticed they weren't really doing a big event. But I was really surprised not to see the GP. And and last week they did have coverage, uh, but it was just limited. It was the Montreal-Mexico City uh, limited GPs. But, yeah, you're right. So it's two limited GPs in a row. And last week they did get pretty poor views, but I was completely surprised that this week they didn't try to take advantage of SCG not broadcasting anything and uh, trying to get their viewership back, especially since it is limited. They're still trying to introduce the set. But... I don't know. I don't think it should have been team limited. I kind of think that they should have done... I think that Wizards needs to kind of have some events with their GPs that are similar to SCG with the team tournaments across the formats. Do you think that would have still been able to meet their intent of trying to like introduce the new set across the formats, or do you think that they should still be doing this limited type thing? I, I, don't, I don't like to see limited on, uh, on coverage, period, really. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just not into it. I don't know why that they don't have a standard format to cover right now. Like, cause standard is is fire right now. It is so good, and they would have so many viewers watching it. I just it doesn't make any sense as to why they don't have a straight standard tournament at the moment, or at least or at least a team constructed open or not open, but a team constructed GP to cover this set because it is it is great yeah i agree yep so i definitely think it should have been team constructed if they if they would have had so first of all i think they should have had coverage in english this weekend since scg wasn't but if they were able to have foreseen this because i know they make these schedules pretty far in advance and they make the formats pretty far in advance and they're trying to sell all this product but I think if they had done a team constructed or a standard GP at this point without SCG competition, they would have had a ton of Twitch views. Now I do know that they had the online PTQ for standard and we're going to talk about the decks that we saw during that a little bit later on. But anyway, I just wanted to touch base on the fact that coverage was kind of poor. I wasn't really sure why I haven't really been, I haven't dove into coverage until I don't know, probably the past six to eight months really deep so i don't know if this is something that they do periodically they just skip coverage but this seems kind of rare is it rare or do you even know no i feel like it's it's this is kind of rare like they they're usually on top of their coverage and they cover anything that they're doing really and it just it really makes no sense it's kind of mind-boggling that they didn't have any coverage for this because they should have and they would have usually i would think so anyway okay yeah so i think i think that's pretty much all we had on that if you if you listeners have any idea why they weren't really covering or if this was some sort of every year they skipped this weekend or whatever please let us know pretty interesting that they didn't take advantage of this weekend to get some coverage in but i think that we'll move on to our next topic which i think there seems to be some debate online but it's mostly just kind of a sad day in magic was the scandal with a high profile player so do you know what happened this weekend jason yeah, so I was alerted to it on Twitter. Um, there was somebody that, that took a clip of it on Twitch, and they shared it on Twitter, and it, it just blew up. People were retweeting it like crazy. So I, I had to go take a look at it. 
Well, Dan Lanthier, I think that's how you say his name. Uh, he was playing in a tournament, and uh, MTG Canada was streaming it, and he was on camera. Well, what he does, he's playing Dredge with the Creeping Chill, or yeah, Creeping Chill, I think is what it's called. Um, I'm a Dredge fan. I'm not even totally on board with that card yet. I'm trying to figure it out. But he he has, he's going to fetch, and he fetches... He pit, whenever he fetches, he picks up his deck. He picks up a stomping ground out of his graveyard and puts it in his deck. He goes to look for the land that he's gonna do. You're gonna pick. He picks that same stomping ground and puts it in the play tapped. So that's clear and blatant cheating. What he tried to do after the fact, after everybody caught on, is he started tweeting and said, "Well, I dredged too many cards into the graveyard, so I was trying to fix the board state." That's a that's a blatant lie, and if you if you can't keep track of your dredges when you're playing dredge, I don't care how unfamiliar with the deck is. I picked the deck up one time, and I never lost count of my dredges. The worst that I did whenever I started off with dredging is I forgot to put cards in the grid. I forgot to discard a faithless looting, and that was easily fixed. Like you want cards in your graveyard, so that's not even really helping you out by keeping cards in your hand anyway. But I was able to like it tells you how many you're dredging you can count them like one two three like it's not hard it's basic math it's basic counting so he blatantly cheated he was caught he was caught doing it and his excuse as to what actually happened was very poor um he needs to be banned period like he needs a ban and this six-month crap that they do, it, that's not good enough. Like, he needs to be banned for years. Yeah, and it's really a bummer that this happened. And I, you kind of cut out on my audio there for a second. But I don't know if you mentioned, but Dan Lanthier, if you're unaware, is a two-time GP champion and former Canada national champion. So he has a lot of it, – it's unfortunate that he was cheating at all, but it's also doubly unfortunate that he already has – these accolades because then it kind of it throws that it taints them everyone now has to wonder okay were were these legit or was he cheating you know on his way to these championships you know taking money winning money and uh some fame in the mtg community through cheating so it makes you wonder has this been a habit that's been been ongoing i i i don't know you you never know and it's if you're if it looked as though it was practiced, and it looks as though it was very smooth. Like, he was able to do it quickly while his opponent wasn't looking. And it he's had to have done it before, in my opinion. Like, that wasn't something that he wasn't fumbling around with it or anything. He went straight for that card, stuck it in his deck really quickly, and it looks like it's a habitual thing. And, like, it's it's ridiculous. I know it wasn't at a big event, but... Doing it at those events means that you're going to do it at a big event. And I kind of feel like everything that he's done is probably tainted at this point. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right about it looking rehearsed too, which is even more interesting because this is a deck that he's unfamiliar with. And, I mean, the clip is all over online. It's on Reddit. You you If you Google Dan Lanthier cheating or anything like that on Google, you're going to find the clip. And it's it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's it's it shows it blatantly, and I can definitely see how the uh, the opponent wouldn't have seen it. And I mean, playing dredge, he's probably not paying too close of attention to that graveyard this early in the game, too. But 
Um, it was really smooth. You were right. It was really, really smooth. He picked up the deck and the card in his graveyard at the same time, put it in. He even kind of shuffled through the cards as if he was looking. But from the way the stream is taken, you can absolutely tell that he's just kind of going through the motions. Even puts another card on top of that land card and then, like, goes behind it real quick and pulls it. It, it was really bad. It looked very well rehearsed. Yeah, I could I could sit here and, like, I don't know. Like, there, there's no excuse for it. And, like I said, his, his excuse that he used was, was bullshit, like, honestly. And I don't know. I can sit here and talk about cheating all day and how ridiculous it is and how blatant it is and how obvious and it's it's rampant and honestly it's kind of worth it to cheat based on the repercussions that you get for cheating it's ridiculous like Alex Bertoncini's back like he shouldn't be back he was caught twice on camera at big events cheating like blatantly cheating and he's back playing again. There's so many people that were caught cheating at big events that are that are back in the game. And it's ridiculous. Yeah, do you think this is going to well, maybe not think, but like so digital, the idea of magic kind of pushing towards the digital realm, kind of what we've talked about before in previous episodes is how all these signs are pointing towards a very arena-centric magic future. Do you think that's actually good with nothing else for at least the uh, the aspect of cheating? Well, I, I think that you definitely can't cheat on Arena. I, I don't see any way you could. It's all dig, you know the digital client and everything, and you, you get the cards that they give you, and that's how it is, and you can't. It, it it's, it's pure in the fact that you can't cheat, and I think that's a great thing. Um, but honestly, it, even if they weren't just going straight for like a digital th- platform, they, if they would just make the repercussions for cheating worse than what they are, it would be so much better. Like Matthew Folks or whatever his name is, like he steals, he he gets a flooded strand. He basically steals a flooded strand. He gets he gets kicked out for eighteen months. Like that's not hurting the game any. It's a really poopy thing to do, but he's not hurting the the integrity of the game. When you, I don't know, like. You get what I mean, though. Like, their their repercussions and the consequences for cheating are very inconsequential in in Magic at the moment. Yeah, everything's just kind of a slap on the wrist. What do you think the punishment should be? All right, I I think it should be a two strike system. Um, basically, if you're caught cheating at a large event or even on camera, period, unless it's like a stupid little like. LGS type thing that isn't being paid attention to but honestly if you're if you're doing it there and they're streaming or whatever you're probably not going to get caught anyway but it's still really bad thing to do I just if you're caught cheating period two years for your first offense you're gone for two years you come back you do it again you're done your lifetime ban it's over like I hate to make the parallel between with between uh I'm not going to say his name. Uh the Voldemort of Magic. Um he uh he harasses people and he gets a full lifetime ban off the bat and he should. He deserves it. I I kind of feel like he he's made himself into a martyr, but he he shouldn't be in Magic period. But I don't think that you can honestly give 
you can't honestly give him a lifetime ban and let these cheaters get away with a slap on the wrist because that that's really hurting the integrity of the game. And it's it's basically stealing from other people because they're coming in and cheating and winning these events. Well, if they cheat you, you have a loss on your record and you're not making that much. You're not making any more money if if you even qualify for money. Like they're taking money from you. And that's a really bad deal. Yeah, and if it's just a slap on the wrist, then it, it like you were saying, it, it just encourages it to continue to happen. What would you would you be for or against fines as a punishment as opposed to time? Or do you think time is you know the two year minimum would be effective enough? I don't really think that you can like fine people. Uh, it's that that's getting into a, a a different aspect of it. I think I I don't know how you would incorporate that. I think time is enough. Like, being able to, to ban somebody for two years, that's two years that you can't go to big events and you can't money. It's pushing you out of, the, out of the game, essentially. And two years is long enough. That's how many GPs in a, in a year, how many, like, well, no, no more PPTQs and stuff. But if you're a Pro Tour player, that's, like, going to be six Pro Tours here. I think be skipping out on, like, 12 possible Pro Tours, it, I think that's a big deal. And... I think that's good enough. A two-year ban for your first time that you're caught cheating is going to be a big enough deterrent because a lot of people are only getting like six months, if that, right now for their first their first occurrence, and that's that's bad. That's terrible. That's not even. That might be a, a that's a that's two pro tours, and that's it. If you're even up at that level, it's a couple GPS. Two years is good for the first time. I, I could agree with that, and yeah, I know I know that fines wouldn't be exactly realistic because, I mean, just legal issues and the fact that you're only paying so much for a GP, and what if it's like a 12 year old kid, right? Like, what are you gonna do? Fine him a thousand bucks? You can't really do that. But um, I was just curious what what your thoughts were on that, and then I'm also curious, um, at what what would be like the like doubt level? Like, what's the line for a punishment? Because a lot of these, for example, the the Dan Lathier thing, that was clear and on tape. You know, like that was on stream. But what if it's just a judge call? And basically what I'm curious about is, where's the line to prevent people from just calling you out on cheating, even if you haven't been cheating, just to get like a win off of you, which is just as bad. So... Now, that, I don't know if that's... that would ever happen. I'm just saying like, if the punishments get so severe... And there becomes rivalries, like the slap on the wrist almost protects that from happening. Like it doesn't really help that person from calling someone out. But if they do get super severe and there's some bad blood, it would be an interesting way to get someone knocked out of uh, contention for a while. No, I can see that. Um, I just I, I don't think that it's I don't think it's going to get to that point though. Like uh, judge calls are the judges are very good at determining what what things went wrong and everything. And there, there's a clear line between like an intentional thing and a non-intentional mistake. And I, I've been on, been in plenty of judge calls throughout my time. And like, I've made some stupid errors and like, I've made mistakes. I've drawn extra cards. I call a judge on myself, like just to, to, to keep myself honest. You know, I, I call a judge and be like, Hey, I drew an extra card. You know, they, they fix it there. They give me my warning and then we, we move on from that. But I think that in let, 
I you would have to have almost like video proof to determine if somebody is cheating, unless except for the Dan Ward situation, which I don't think there is any video proof of that. But he clearly knew his deck in that situation to the point where what he did, he he egregiously did it, knowing that he was cheating, and he got banned for I think six months or something, something stupid. But there's a clear line between like an egregious cheat and like and not something that you didn't intend to do and just made a simple mistake. I, I don't think that that line is is too like I think the line's pretty cut and dry. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I don't think that I think overall the magic community is not full of cheaters. You know what I mean? Like they're definitely out there. It's definitely something to be concerned about when you're playing and to be conscious of, but like you were just saying, you know, calling the judge on yourself. I've been a part of so many matches where I've had to do that for myself. You know, like, oh, hey, let's just call a judge to make sure we're straight. And I've played against opponents that were always very honest and, you know, communicating very well during the game. And I've never ran, I've actually never played against someone in a tournament that I thought was intentionally cheating. So if they were, they either got away with it or they were just honest, good people. So I don't think it's a overall a problem, but whenever things like this happens, there's always like a witch hunt, you know, talking about this topic and it makes people think that it's more prevalent than it really is. It makes everyone suspicious. It makes everyone completely reevaluate the community and it's extremely damaging to the community. So I think it's good that we brought up this topic and I think it sucks that we had to. So I don't know if you have any final thoughts on it before we move on. I I basically said everything I had to about it. We just need to, Cheating needs to be taken care of a little better. It, there needs to be oh, like more punishment for people that are cheating other than the slap on the wrist, or it's going to continue to happen, and it's going to start pushing people out of the game, honestly. I agree. I agree. Yeah, cheating needs to be unforgivable. I mean, it's it's really the one thing that ruins what the game stands for. I mean, you cannot have the game when there are people not playing by the rules, so... Overall, I agree with that. Okay, so uh, we do have time. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of extra news that, that came out of this past week. Um, so I think that we'll talk about some of the standard decks that we saw in the standard PTQ that took place on October 13th online. So looking at the results, um, something that is clear and easy to see, which I didn't really quite expect going into this standard, but seeing how the first week has really panned out, Golgari Midrange is the deck to watch. It looks like in the in the top eight of the standard PTQ online, I think seven or six or seven, six decks were all Golgari Midrange. And if you go and look at the the top decks as a whole, Golgari Midrange is all over the place. So um, I think that'll be the first deck we talk about. And then another deck that also saw top eight was the Crackling Drake, the the Is It deck in standard. And then we're going to talk about a third deck, which is a white weenie deck, very similar to like the Selesnia tokens. It's a, it's kind of a go wide and and pump them up type deck. So, looking first at the Golgari mid range, which took the standard PTQ online on on uh, last Saturday, October thirteenth. It went nine and zero. Um, have you looked at this deck much, Jason? I, I'm playing an iteration of it in standard. The deck is sick. It's very good. It looks really good. It um, If you haven't played against it, so basically 
it really takes advantage of the undergrowth mechanic and using the graveyard to your advantage as a resource. You you said you've been playing it, right? Yeah, yeah, I've been playing a version of it. Um, I'm running Gruesome Menagerie in mine. Okay. Um, so the list, so the list I'm looking at. Well, first, we'll we'll kind of just break down the deck. All right, we'll talk about what's in it, and then we'll kind of go through how it's supposed to work and we'll talk about kind of what makes it strong against the other decks that we see in the format. So the Golgari midrange deck is running 28 creatures. Um, it's running four Lominar elves. It's running four Merfolk branch walkers. It's got three seeker squire, two wild growth walker, one district guide, four Jade light ranger, two Golgari fine broker, three ravenous chupacabra, four doom whisperer, and one Izani Thousand Eyed. So, Jason, what what are some of the creatures that I just listed off that really make this deck come together? All right. So the the explore mechanic was very it was it was very under underused in with Kaladesh and Amonkhet out. But basically, it was it was pushed down by energy. It was pushed down by the gods from Amonkhet block. But Explore is very, very, very good in this new format. Merfolk, Branchwalker, and Seeker Squires on two it is great. Even if you got like a Lana War Elves out and get a Jade Light Ranger out early, that's that's amazing. You want to get as many creatures in your graveyard as you can, so that your your Izonis are better. Um, what else here? Yeah, we have the Wild Growth Walker, which also benefits from all those Explore triggers. It makes it makes sure that you get those lands. Um, and that you can actually ramp out into those Doom Whisperers and those Izonis uh, as as quick as you can. Yeah, Doom Whisperer is amazing. It it is it is the bread and butter of this deck. It's it's great. It's your ability to surveil and put stuff in your graveyard, and you know smooth out your draws is amazing. And with Wild Growth Walker, like I'm running four in my deck, this one's only running two. But being able to explore a bunch and gain life, you you're just fueling the Doom Whisperer to continue to uh, be able to get get better draws out of your deck, get what you need, and not what you don't don't need. You just ditch anything that you don't need. Um, but other than that, like Ravenous Chupacabra, of course, is great. Um, Golgari Fine Broker is great to get the cards back that you need later in the game. Um, I really like Vraska. In this, um, it's running three. Oh, are we still talking about creatures? I'm moving on to That's planeswalkers. Fine. Yeah, we can move over to planeswalkers. <laughs> yeah, it's running. It actually. So this list that we're looking at that took the uh, standard PTQ is running five planeswalkers, and they're all Vraskas. So it's running two copies of the um, Guild of Ravnica Golgari Queen, and it's running three copies of Vraska Relic Seeker. So what were you saying about them? Well, having Vraska Golgari Queen in this deck, you're able to just you can sacrifice your creatures and get them back with Golgari Fine Broker and stuff, and it also fuels your Izoni. Um, you could sack a permanent to draw a card and, and gain a life. That's amazing. Um, also, it's it's definitely got good removal. It's a you know it's negative negative three is an abrupt decay, and its ultimate is game winning. Uh, but as far as uh, the Relic Seeker goes, I mean, Relic Seeker's great. You can get a 2-2 uh, Pirate with Menace, which is amazing. Um, you can destroy a target target artifact creature enchantment and get a treasure token. And this ultimate is game-winning, too. Target player's life total becomes one. 
Yeah, Rascal so. Relic Seeker has always been strong, and this deck actually. So what I like about this deck is it, it it throws everything into the graveyard, and then with your Fine Broker, you get to just pick and choose what you decide to use. You know, and you have the Lawmaner Elves. You have all the Explore, making sure that you're hitting these land drops. You're ramping into these higher mana cost um, cards like Relic Seeker and Doom Whisper, and you're gonna get it. Like you're gonna be able to bring it out of your graveyard, or you're gonna be able to. Uh, play it early on turn four or five so very powerful yeah card selection in this deck is great just being able to explore and 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 mill stuff that you don't need to and then be able to use later it's it's amazing like i haven't seen this good card selection in green black in quite a while in standard and it's it's so refreshing yeah it's definitely i think this deck is such a top choice right now because of its consistency it's it's the same game every time because you're just able to filter everything that you need and and make sure you get it. And graveyard hate is kind of weak right now too, but um, we'll talk about that in a second. So those are the planeswalkers, and then it's only running four spells, which are two assassins trophy and two copies of find finality, the split card. So I mean, this is pretty much just your removal package and a little bit of return stuff from the graveyard back to your hand uh anything special about these these two choices yeah uh, curving out a a doom whisper into a, f- a finality is, is almost game winning like that's you're gonna be your, your opponent's gonna be like building up their board and you're gonna build building up your board too and then you you deploy your doom whisper the next turn you finality you put your two counters on doom whisper sure you're only gonna be atta- be able to attack for four but you have an 8-8 um, flyer, flying trampler, that can get whatever you need on top of your deck so that you can continue the game. Fine finality is probably the linchpin of this deck. Being able to pick up things in your graveyard early and recur things, and then the the, the full sweeper later with a big creature out. That, when you cast a finality, you're more than likely not going to lose. I, I'm kind of concerned, like, I assume Assassin's Trophy is fine in it. I'm not running Assassin's Trophy in my build. Uh, Plague Crafter is really my removal in uh, the Chupacabra. But Assassin's Trophy I didn't think was too great in standard. Like, it wasn't looking too good. Um, because it's ramping your opponent. And ramping your opponent in standard is a lot different than ramping it in modern. Because um, basically, in modern, you're using, like, Path, Path to Exile is good in modern. It wasn't that great in standard. That's the same. That's the same boat that Assassin's Trophy is in. But I assume that it's fine if it's you know in this deck and it's winning. I don't know. I just didn't. I'm not big on Assassin's Trophy in standard. Yeah. Um. I, I've I've seen it. I mean, it 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 does what it does. It kills anything. Gives them a land. Um. But you're kind of right. Like ramping typically is more important in standard than uh than modern since modern is such a fast, a uh, much faster format. Um, so yeah, those are the four spells, and then it's running 23 lands with eight forest, four overgrown tomb, um, a swamp, seven swamps, and four woodland cemeteries. So it's got a decent land package. It's got um, a lot of creatures. So, so the sideboard is three duress, one Argul's bloodfast, three moments of craving, one wild growth walker, two Vraska's contempt, two the eldest reborn. One Vivian Reed, one Izoni Thousand Eyed, and then an additional um, just one Find and Finality. All right, so now that we see the sideboard, um, Jason, like what what makes this deck good against 
aggro. Let's talk about how this deck survives in sideboards against the aggro matchup, and then we'll do the same thing for you know a, a mirror or another mid-range deck, and then we'll we'll talk about what it does against a control deck. So how does this deck fight against an aggro deck, and and what kind of sideboard decisions is it thinking about making? Well, it's it's pretty good against the aggro decks, basically with Wild Growth Walker gaining life um, and all the explore creatures. Your explore creatures are going to be bigger anyway, um, especially if you're hitting non-lands. They're going to be able to block profitably the the more the lower to the ground creatures. I think it's got a good game one against aggro in general. Um, it's got the removal and ravenous chupacabra and Izoni. It if you can ramp if you can get to an Izoni, you're you're basically just roadblocking them the whole time. Um, now, as far as like going into the sideboard um you're going to be bringing in moments of moment of craving which is going to it's going to give your give a creature neg two neg two and you're going to gain two life so that's a kill creature i gain two um you're going to be bringing in another wild growth walker for the life gain you might bring in some more something you might bring in vraska's contempts um maybe not another eyes on you probably good with one um, and probably the fine finality, but you're basically just going to, you're, you're going to want to get your, your, deploy your creatures early to block. You're going to get your wild growth walkers out so you can start gaining life and making them bigger. Um, if you're even able to, to explore once with wild growth walker, you're pretty good because you're gaining three and now it's got a, a, a toughness of four, which is really hard to deal with in standard. Most like as long as you're over three toughness, you're, you're pretty much good. Uh, they're going to be two for wanting themselves just to get rid of it. So that I think that against aggro, it's pretty good. Um, my biggest issue is against control because you're a mid-range deck and they're able to set up better and, and they're going to be, be able to counter, like answer your, your cards like one by one. So basically, you're going to probably bring in Argyle's Blood Fast for, for card draw. They're going to bring in Duresses, of course, to get the counters out of their hand. Um, Vivian Reed is very good for card selection because they're going to remove your stuff and counter your stuff. So if you deployed Vivian Reed, you'll be able to refill your hand with creatures. So that's good to come in. Um, probably bring in another fine just to be able to recur your stuff. Um, maybe an Eldest Reborn, depending on if they have, if they're a Planeswalker centric deck, but you're going to, you're going to struggle a little bit against control with this, but you have the tools that you need in the sideboard to get back into it. Um, I think the aggro matchup's definitely a lot better than the control matchup. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, this deck definitely has a lot of the... It has everything it needs, really, for the aggro matchup. You know, it has a lot of the the low converted mana cost, low-to-the-ground cards that it can get out that will be stronger than the aggro deck typically with the explore mechanics and gain life with the wild growth walker and then it just has a ton of sideboard stuff that is really effective against the aggro matchup you know more wild growth walkers and then you know the removal spells that gain life as well that you were talking about so i think that's why we saw so much of this deck in the standard ptq was i mean we can already tell that it's super consistent and i think that so what i expected to see was a lot more aggro decks just typically from the new set coming out, you know, that's that seems to be the safe place to be right now is just, okay, let's pick up the, the fastest mono red thing we can get and go for it. Well, I think what we're seeing is kind of the result of people expecting that and taking this, this mid-range deck that is very strong against the aggro deck and 
I mean, it's just it's so consistent that it can do the same thing every time, making it effective against other mid-range decks. And like you said, kind of struggling against control, but I don't think the control decks are really there yet. No, the control decks aren't like totally there. I know that there there is Jess guy that's been 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 floating around. Um, I think we're gonna actually talk about a Jess guy deck here shortly. Um, but Jess guy's been floating around. Um, the blue black base decks, control decks are are looking pretty good. Um, it's gonna take a little bit for control to like get a foothold and get an actual like proven archetype together. Um, but the fringy control decks are still kind of praying on it a little bit just because you know it's a mid-range deck it's not a low to the ground you need to get under control game one and this deck really can't necessarily do that it, it can apply pressure early but once they like sweep you they're your bigger stuff they're going to be able to just counter it one for you know or remove it one for one basically so you need to get a good a good clock on them early or it's not going to work yeah i think the one of the keys for this deck surviving the control matchup is just getting that ramp that they need, like hitting every every land drop, getting the Lomonar Elves out, like making sure they get those out so that they can get underneath some of that control. Um, but yeah, so I think that's, uh, that's enough for the Golgari midrange. Um, if you're heading out to your FNMs or standard showdowns or whatever, you're probably going to be seeing a lot of this deck, so uh, you should probably check it out online um, and, and kind of look at what you should be expecting, or you know, pick up a copy of the deck and go win your FNM because it looks like it's very, very strong. Yeah, right, so- if 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 you your meta is is full of mono red, I'm I'm like six and zero against it on arena. So yeah, definitely hit this if you're mono red. Yeah. Um. All right. So the next deck we're going to talk about is that control deck we were just talking about. So this deck went eight and one in the standard PTQ. It is blue, red, white as we said, and it is, we're going to start off with the creatures. So it's running four of Crackling Drake. So Crackling Drake has been actually talked about quite a bit. People are kind of toying with the idea of using it in modern. Um, Crackling Drake is a uh, four mana cost Drake with the mana cost being two blue and two red. It's the is it um, four mana card in this cycle. And it's got flying and Crackling Drake's power is equal to the total number of instant and sorcery cards you own in exile and in your graveyard, and when Crackling Drake enters the battlefield, you draw a card. So it's a star four uh, flying Drake. So what what do you think about this creature off the bat? What have you really heard about it? Oh, I've I've played with Crackling Drake, and it's amazing. Being able to replace itself with the card draw is is amazing. Um, the fact that it counts instants and sorceries in exile too is great. Um, Enigma Drake was kind of held back. Like, you know, like I was playing, I was playing eight Drakes in standard on arena for a little bit and your your jump start stuff whenever you exile them your enigma drake loses power but crackling drake stays where it is and it's it's great um i i, I can't say enough about crackling drake i love enigma drake but crackling drake's just you know a, a, a little bit over that card yeah i agree and also like a lot of the graveyard hate out there too you know that people might be playing against that golgari midrange deck even if it does like if you have like a Sentinel totem or something, and they decide to exile your graveyard, doesn't matter. You know, Crackling Drake's still still holding strong. So Crackling Drake has proven to be a very strong card as long as you can get the mana base to to throw it out, which this deck definitely has. Um, it'll be effective. And 
like you said, the, the fact that it's a cantrip as a creature is, is also awesome. Like, you play it, you draw that card, more likely than not, you got an instant or sorcery that's going to be able to beef it up. Alright, so the next section we're going to talk about is the Planeswalkers. He isn't gone. Everyone knows him. Teferi, Hero of Dominaria. So, this deck is running four. Now... Do you do you expect to see a lot of Teferi decks popping up in standard? Like is that is he still just this staple for control? Or do you expect to see it kind of branch out a little bit? Yeah, Teferi is he's gonna stay the staple for control. Um you're gonna you're gonna see a case for Ral, Zarek as well. But I mean they're kind of the ba- basically the same thing, but Teferi's much better. Uh I think if you're if you're sticking strictly control, um Teferi is good. Um, because it, it allows you to draw a card and hold up a counter or hold up removal because you can untap lands with them. So say you cast them on five and you, you're running a, a Jeskai deck. You get to draw a card and hold up a lightning strike to protect them. That's really great. You can't do that with Ral. Um, being able to tuck a creature or a, tuck a permanent, I th- yeah, I think it's a full permanent, right? Yeah, so... Yeah, so you, you tuck a permanent three three cards on you know in their deck, and you can tuck himself too to stop you from decking out against other control decks, which is amazing. And of course, his ultimate is just start exiling stuff when you draw st- draw cards. Uh, Teferi's going to continue to stay the the quintessential planeswalker for standard until he rotates. He he's just great. Yeah, he's awesome. He's also sitting at like fifty bucks a card now, so. Have fun building this deck if you don't already have a bunch of Teferis laying around. Alright, so the spell package for this control deck. It's your typical control bounce, you know, sweeper type mix. You got two syncopates, two blink of an eye, one essence scatter, four justice strike, four deafening clarion, four sinister sabotage, four chemistry's insight, and two cleansing nova. So is there anything that kind of sticks out or is this just pretty much like your typical spell package for a control deck and this is just a typical spell package um you got your counters you got your your sweeper in def or your sweepers in deafening clarion and cleansing nova um you got your draw your stable four mana draw a card draw two cards with chemistry's insight um there's also two other cards that they don't show up in the in the list because they're in other because they weren't they weren't um i guess formatted oh, yeah, correctly the list we're looking at <laughs> Yeah, expansion it's got, explosion. Yeah, expansion explosion is great. And like I was playing um Singleton in Arena and somebody uh explosion uh, it, is that the whatever it was to to deal x damage, draw x cards. They milled me out. They dealt 15 damage to me, which wasn't enough to kill me, but I drew 15 cards and I I milled <laughs> they milled me out. I think that's really cool. Explo- expansion explosion is a great card. And it, it's really nice to see it in these decks. I think it's a, I think it's great for them. But everything else is is pretty much just stock. Yeah, and then I mean that goes into the the next section. So we have enchantments, just one, just a, a search for his Kanta, which is a must-have in pretty much any uh, control deck. I don't think we really even need to talk about that card. And then um, the deck's running twenty-six lands. You know your typical extra lands for a control deck. It has four cliff trop. Cliff Top Retreats, four Glacial Fortress, three Island, two Mountain, one Plains, four Sacred Foundy, four Steam Vents, and four Sulfur Falls. So one of the more expensive mana bases in Standard, but I don't think it's going to ever have any issues running out of Crackling Drake, Teferi, or 
any of their multicolored cards. Um, okay, and then hitting the sideboard, it has two Disdainful Stroke, four Lava Coil, three Negate, one Invoke the Divine, two Lyra Dawnbringer, one Route Is It Viceroy, and two Niv Mizzet Perrin. So, what do you see from this sideboard? Like, what is what is this deck really scared about facing? Uh, Mono Red Aggro. <laughs> That's what, it, just basically the load of the ground decks is what it, it's going to struggle against. And it's got what it needs to take care of that with Lava Coils. Um, it's got what it needs to take care of that with Lyra Dawnbringers. Uh, it's also got some extra, you know, it's got another Ral in it, which is another, basically just another Teferi, but not as good. And Niv-Mizzet for uh, some extra, well, Niv-Mizzet's going to come in against the, the control sideboard, or against the control decks. Um, but it's got the extra stuff that it needs to take care of aggro, basically. And that's that's where it's going to have its issues in game one against the low-to-the-ground aggro decks. Yeah, I agree. And then it has, you know, some of the, uh, like, Disdainful Stroke and stuff for some of the bigger uh, Selesnia decks or, you know, the big green Stompy decks that are still out there in the other control matchups where they may be finding uh, other high-costed creatures and spells. So, yeah, pretty standard... Uh, um, control shell that we're seeing here but it's it looks pretty fun it looks pretty spicy and and it's good to see crackling drake out there and doing good stuff because a lot of people have been talking about it and it, it's working do you have any uh final thoughts on this deck yeah well not really i i think it's uh it's basically your standard your standard control deck and we're going to see a lot of it and we're of course control is going to branch off into blue black and everything as well but this is uh your hallmark for control right now if you're into control definitely give this a spin yeah and i'm glad there's no nexus of fate in it just because i hate the card oh you just wait there are nexus of fate decks brewing like oh, I'm, I, I I'm, I'm i'm working on one so just wait oh you're one of those all right so the last deck we're gonna look at is white weenie uh it went eight and one on standard ptq and it's pretty much your your basic go wide white deck. Um, Selesnya tokens has been very big, but this kind of just cut out the green and went straight white. And it's running twenty seven creatures. It's running two Dauntless bodyguards, four Hunted Witness, two Sky Marcher aspirant, four Adanto Vanguard, four Knight of Grace, three Remorseful Cleric, four Banalish Marshal, and four Venerated Loxodon. Um, do you have anything really to say about all these creatures? It's just it's a lot of them. Yeah, the, your your all star here is a Danto Vanguard. I love that card. Um, you know, you pay four life to get it, give it indestructible against plus two plus uh, plus two plus oh whenever it attacks. Card's great. It's really hard to get rid of, and I I tried to play as much as I could of it whenever I could in standard. Uh, the last couple standard se- series because the card is great. Um, it's taking a page out of Celestia with Venerated Loxodon, which is great. This is basically just your go wide, uh, go quick. White weenie deck uh, with creatures that just turn sideways and attack. So it's basically just your standard white weenie, and it's cool that we have it again. Yeah, and um, also something I'd like to point out, I, th- I think this deck looks like it would be a pretty decent matchup against the Golgari midrange too. So I don't know if this was a very popular deck during the standard PTQ or if it was one of just the few decks that were constructed like this, but it almost looks like it's targeting that Golgari midrange with cards such as Remorseful Cleric, you know, you just sacrifice it, you can exile all cards from target player's graveyard. That I, that card I could see being a major pain in the butt for the Golgari midrange. And then also Knight of Grace, 
you know, it has that hexproof from black. It gets plus one, plus oh, if uh, any player controls a black permanent. So I could see that being problematic as well, since that Golgari midrange deck is so many gold cards, so many um, black cards, that those knights are just going to be pumped up. Um, especially with the history of Benalia that we're going to talk about later and stuff. But all right. So moving on from the creatures, we have just we have a few spells. We have a uh, one instant, and it's just a single Pride of the Conquerors, which is just a pump up the team. Um, and then it's got a, it's running eleven enchantments, three of them being Legion landings, so they get additional vampires and token generators off of that. One baffling end, as you know, kind of a removal piece. Four history of Benalia and three Conclave Tribunal. So do you have any thoughts on the spell package? Yeah, it's just your standard. Like you're, you're definitely gonna want histories. History of Benali is great if you're playing white. Um, your standard conclave, conclave tribunal, Baffling is your removal package in white. Conclave tribunal is great with this deck because you can basically cast it for free if you have four creatures out. Um, Legion's Landing, of course, is a hallmark in any kind of white weenie deck because it's a, it's essentially a one drop. And yeah, I mean it's. It's just basically this is what you want in a in a low to the ground white deck. Definitely. Do you have any thoughts on why maybe they chose Baffling in instead of Seal Away? And what th- what have what have your thoughts been on Conclave Tribunal as a replacement for Cast Out? Has it really is it as good as Cast Out was because of the Convoke? Or what are your thoughts there? Uh, I think it's I think it's relatively similar to Cast Out. Cast Out was great because it had Flash. You can't Flash in a Conclave Tribunal, but you can make it, you can play it for almost essentially free in these go wide decks. Um, so I think it's kind of equivalent to um, Cast Out. But I mean, having the Flash was was great, and that's what made that so great. And being able to cycle it if you didn't need it was good too. So I I don't know. I would put cast out a little higher than Conclave Tribunal, but Conclave Tribunal gets the job done. Now, as far as Baffling End goes, the reason that they're playing one in the main, you know, Baffling End in the main board over Seal Away is because there's very little removal of enchantments right now in, you know, in the main board. So it, it's good removal. And also, Seal Away, if Seal Away is destroyed, they get the creature back. With Baffling End, they don't get the creature back. Sure, if Baffling End is destroyed, they get a dinosaur, but chances are that you probably have a way to deal with it, or you've gone wide enough or something. I, I, I like Baffling End quite a bit, honestly. Okay, I was just curious. And then for lands, they're keeping it simple, just 21 planes, and of course their Legion Landing will probably flip at some point, and they'll have 22 lands available to them. Um, all right, the sideboard, they have two more Baffling Ends. They have two Bounty Agents, one Sorceress Spyglass, Two Takatli Honor Guard, three Shield Mare, two Ajani Adversary of Tyrants, one Ixlon's Binding, and two Settle the Wreckage. So, what are your thoughts of uh, the sideboard choices for this deck? Uh, it's just definitely just more removal to get rid of the the bigger. Um, I, I think their their biggest issue is going to be the decks that they're, um, like the mid range decks, um, maybe even mono green. Those decks are going to give it issues, so like having baffling, extra baffling ends are good. Uh, what shield mare do? That's the uh, it can't be blocked by red, and okay. when it enters the battlefield, it becomes target spell or ability and opponent controls. You gain three. It's totally the anti right. red aggro. Yeah, yeah. So that that's good for your other aggro decks. A Johnny adversary of tyrants is going to help you out in your more grindy matchups. 
Um, there's another Ixalan's binding in, set, in the settles. It, it's just extra removal. Um, Takatli Honor Guard is, is pretty pretty nifty. I don't know exactly what all has that that's devastating with Enter the... I assume that's probably for Green Black. Yeah, all the For like the Fine Broke. Yeah. So that that's definitely a good include to stop Explorer and whatnot. Um, Sorcerer Spyglass is, I guess, for your Planeswalker matchups. But ultimately, they're just going to be bringing in a lot of removal for the grindy matchups and, and trying to stop green you know the green black decks or the the modern green decks from doing what they're trying to do you can match up pretty well against the red decks because it, it especially if you get out a danto vanguard a danto vanguard's great against those mono red decks. oh yeah yeah danto vanguard's been a powerhouse since it was printed and it's it's been doing well and it's still still doing well so yeah this deck is really straightforward uh it's your basic go wide white creature uh, pump them all up with like Vandalish Marshall and put some counters on them with a Johnny or Venerated Loxodon and and just go wide. So, yeah, this is a good deck. There was only one of them in the top several for the PTQ, but it was cool to go over. All right, so that pretty much uh, brings us towards the end of the show. Uh, we're done with the standard decks, and so the next topic is the Community Spotlight. So what's Community Spotlight, and uh, who do we have this week? All right, so every week we're going to be doing a Community Spotlight where I'm going to point out somebody in the magic community and give them a shout out and try to get you guys to go watch them and and consume their content and this week i want to talk about they said we said john dunning is the host of that and he does a lot of things so he's got 10 street hooligans for magic it's where i've i've been on it he gets a a group of people to come in uh coach from the card bazaar johnny slivers uh, magic with Zuby, Zuby from Magic with Zuby comes on, and he's been getting um, somebody else to come on. I was on it once. Kitchen Table Commander was on it. Most recently, it was uh, Mountain Man, MTG. He was on it. Um, it's basically like a live podcast where we where they talk about things that are going on in the Magic community. Um, he also does a Hive Mind where he gets a gets a um, a higher profile member or member of the MTG community to come in, and they he interviews them. He also has a lot of different kind of like movie and directorial things too that he does on his channel. He does a director's cut where he talks about a director with a couple people. He does um, real actors where he talks about some actors and a couple with a couple of the people. Um, he also has this new thing with Cody from um, Fish and a Merfolk podcast called U-Tunes. It's basically a live podcast where they talk about cartoons from and they did one on uh, Nickelodeon and last last week they did one on uh, Don Bluth and it was really cool. So definitely if you're into of course you're into magic so go check him out for magic but if you're into the movies and cartoons as well definitely go his way. He does some great content. He's a great dude. Go check him out. Awesome. So that's uh they said we said. So make sure you go check them out. And then to finish up the episode, we're just going to talk about our triple strike questions of the week. So how this works is every week we ask three random trivia questions about Magic the Gathering, the game, maybe pro players, anything that's kind of on the table. And we'll ask three questions, and it's just for fun. You're driving to work. You can try to answer them. Look them up. Make sure you can you can share the answers with us on our social networks, and then we'll provide the answers in the following week's episode. So, um... Last week, our three questions were, our first strike question was, where's the Watsi headquarters located? So the Watsi headquarters is located in Renton, Washington. The double strike question was, name the two creatures you can exile from your hand 
to add mana to your mana pool. Simeon Spirit Guide and Elvish Spirit Guide. And then our last strike question was, what creature has the largest power in magic? Then not counting asterisks or some sort of power that's dependent on something else. And that is the BFG, or Big Furry Monster, from Unglued with a 99-99 creature that takes two cards. So those were your triple strike questions from last week. This week, our three questions are, so our first strike question is, how many versions of Vraska Planeswalkers have been printed? Now, I'm not talking about different arts or anything, just the names. How many different names of the Vraska Planeswalkers have been printed? The double strike question is, who is the champion of the 2016 World Championship? Our last strike question is, who are the team members of the team Peach Garden Oath? So those are your triple strike questions of the week. So make sure that you go ahead and hit us up with those answers if you want. Think about them, mull them over, and don't forget that you can possibly enter and win a free booster pack on us. All you have to do is share a link to this episode, either on YouTube or whatever podcast listening service you're on. Share it on Twitter or Facebook with a hashtag MTGDeckText, and you'll be entered to win a free booster pack free of charge. If you'd like to reach out to us, make sure you hit us up on either Twitter or Facebook, MTGDeckText, or you can hit either one of us up directly, either myself on Twitter, at JamesRMTG, or Jason, how can I get you? You can find me on Twitter at T2TKS, or I, you can also get me on the at MTG Deck Text as well. Those two spots on Twitter. Perfect. And then also, if you want, you can email us at MTG Deck Text Podcast at gmail.com if you'd like to ask us any questions or anything that you want us to answer on the air. So, awesome. I think that's all we have. So, you guys have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Have fun, everybody.